Welcome to the Founders for Good podcast, hosted by myself, Craig Turner. Join me as I speak to the most inspirational founders of four good startups, the people that are leading the way when it comes to solving the world's most pressing issues. I explore their journey as founders and their best kept secrets on how to grow a four good startup and how to hire top people. My hope is that this will inspire you to be part of the solution and do your bit in making the world a better place. Thanks for tuning in to the Founders for Good podcast. Morgan Fitzsimmons is the co-founder and CXO of Percy Health. Did you know that one in two of us will be diagnosed with cancer? It's a pretty scary thought, but there is some good news. With advances in diagnosis and treatment, more people are surviving from and living longer with cancer. But this puts a different stress on the healthcare system, where the NHS and charitable sector are not equipped to deal with the growing number of people that need specialist post-treatment support, which means most are just left alone to try and get their life back on track. Enter Percy Health. Percy have the largest network of cancer experts in the UK. Percy assign each person with their own specialist cancer nurse to build a personalised care plan and ensure they get the support they need to improve their quality of life. Hey Morgan, pleasure to have you on the show. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for having me. No, of course. Um, so always like to start with a bit of background. Um, so I just wanted for anyone not familiar with yourself, like, could you give a, a brief overview of your background and I guess any kind of key moments that led you to founding a health tech business? Yeah, sure. So I am from a digital marketing background and I've worked uh, since the start of my career in digital. Uh, so quite rare, but I think that's becoming more and more likely um, as I get older, <laughs> um, but started in the world of digital and I started in um, management consultancy initially. So looking at businesses and how they could make their businesses digital and take advantage of digital and actually quite a lot of retail brands. So it's before website was a must. Um, and then I moved into the world of digital marketing and really as social media blew up, um, all of these new platforms uh, and innovation started to happening in communication. Uh, and I worked for many, many years uh, in consumer uh, facing brands. So I, uh, I headed up global um, marketing for the online retailer ASOS. And then also was the digital director of CBS Television, where I worked in New York for a few years. So really in that kind of innovation, digital consumer space. Um, and it seems like an unlikely way to get to a health tech startup, but, um, I actually, um, the business was initially my co-founder's idea and she's in the health, health uh, sector. And so she identified the core area and really what I bring and why I got into, into this is really, um, looking at innovation and disruptive disruption and healthcare is really an area where I think we are starting to see a lot of disruption. But when we started the business, um, there wasn't as much and there's still lots to do. So I think what I really enjoy and where I get, um, I guess, energy is from um, looking at how we can approach a problem uh, from a different perspective and also have we have a meaningful impact on people's lives. And that's really where how I got to where I am today yeah makes a lot of sense and I'm going to talk to you a little bit later about um the two of you as founders with very different skill sets and how they kind of complement each other and work together um but first I kind of just wanted to talk to you about the topic of of cancer 
um, and you know, what what the kind of current state of cancer is in the UK right now. I don't, I don't know if you're able to give an idea of like how many people are living with cancer or being like treated for cancer, and, and are we expecting that number to increase or decrease? Yeah, yeah. And actually, cancer is going through a massive change at the moment. So that's part of the reason why Percy exists. Um, one in two of us will be diagnosed with cancer in our lifetime. So it really is a, a disease that affects a lot of the population. But actually, that sounds quite scary. Uh, what we're seeing is a good news story. So even though more people are being diagnosed, more people are living with cancer. And we see that almost 60% of people are living 10 years or more. And this means that cancer is really being reclassified as a chronic condition. So if you think of something like diabetes, it's not a death sentence anymore. And that's really a key change in how cancer is uh, being treated, how it's being perceived, and how people need to think about cancer and the treatment of cancer. So it's going quite rapidly through a lot of transformation in that sense. Um, But I guess... What that does mean is that we've got a growing population of people who are living with the side effects of treatment, um, who need lots of healthcare support in order to live their healthiest and happiest lives. And although we're seeing this incredible transition and innovation in treatment and um, screening, uh, we're not seeing the pivot in the same way to how cancer is cared for as a long-term chronic condition. And that's essentially why we created Percy Health and kind of um, why we exist today. Got it. Yeah. And um, I didn't realise some of that. So that's really good to know. Uh, I guess when everyone thinks cancer, they think they think normally of like diagnosis or, or treatment. It, I think naturally that you'd probably don't think so much about the kind of post-treatment part, actually, which is really important. Like you said, more and more people are living with cancer now. So that's like a, a bigger area to focus on. Um, in terms of like the, I guess from a diagnosis treatment perspective, it sounds like over the last like 10, 20 years, yeah. is that where most of the focus has been like from an improvement perspective? And that's where like money's been invested, yeah. research has been done. Yeah. And I think quite rightly, right. That that's, it's a really cool part is making sure it's diagnosed as quickly as possible and it's treated in the most effective way. So I think there's, this is absolutely where we should be at this point. You know, the, the focus should be on how do we, um, how do we treat it as quickly and as effectively as we possibly can? Um, it's just there needs to be a bit more space now opened for once that's happened, what's the next step? Um, there's lots of, there's lots of stuff published. I think you would have seen cancer in, in the headlines from COVID and, uh, really that's great because it's raising awareness. Um, uh, but what needs to happen is we do need to open up a bit more space for, um, people that have finished their treatment and they need support. And the NHS published lots of stuff about this and essentially the way people feel and how it's been documented and published that, um, they feel is that, um, when they finish their treatment, that's actually when everything hits the psychological impact, uh, the impact of how do I move on now? This has happened to me. This traumatic event has happened to me. What do I do now? And where do I go? Um, and, and they kind of describe it as, um, falling off the edge of a cliff. And that's because when you're in your core treatment, you get lots of support and access to healthcare providers. And then you get to that point where someone says, you're good to go. We won't see you for the next few months. 
and you go home and you're kind of left with, well, I've got side effects. I'm not quite happy in all elements of my health. Um, um, and people feel very, very isolated and alone and they have nowhere to go. Yeah, I was, I was going to ask like what the typical routes are at that point, but is, is it the case that there isn't much then? You're kind of like with the NHS, you're, you're then kind of less less frequent visits and there's no one else actually supporting at that time. So. Yeah, yeah, that's that's accurate. So you've got, obviously the NHS are incredible and doing an incredible job and they are, um, we know they're overwhelmed and that they're at the point of bursting at the moment and they do a really great job of that core treatment and that's where they are really useful, but they don't have the resources to then do ongoing, long-term, personalised follow-up care. They just can't possibly do it. What has happened previously for a long time is it's been delegated to the charitable sector. So you'll know a lot about the big charities and really they've been left to try and support people when they're in that period. Um, Of course, they don't have the resources, they don't have the funding and they can't adequately provide personalised healthcare. Um, So that's how what people have been doing at the moment. Uh, Another thing that happens a lot is that you'll see people lean on each other. So there's lots of Uh, patient forums, uh, people asking advice of uh, people that have done what have been through the treatment they've been through or they've um, experienced some of the similar things. So actually you're starting to see um, people filling the gap because they don't know where to go or what to do. Um, And obviously that's amazing, but you can't really... um, you can't really help someone from a healthcare perspective, you know, with safe advice from someone who is medically trained and can help with your outcomes. So um, essentially those are the three avenues at the moment. And so that's where we step in and we say we can give you access to all of these incredible um, highly qualified, you know, NHS trained experts, um, but they are really focused on supportive care and everything outside of your core cancer treatment. Got it. Got it. And I was about to say, it's probably a good time to talk about Percy Health and you, you've just given that that, that good overview. Um, and my yeah. understanding is that the, the way you do that is that you're, are you primarily focused on working with employers? So it's like a B2B2C model that you have? Yeah. Well, um, startup world, the journey is ever changing. Yeah, yeah. So um, we've evolved and changed and adapted. I guess um, the big vision, the big vision is that we want to give access to quality care to um, everyone that needs it. Um, but we've got to start somewhere. And so we've uh, we started actually... Uh, from a direct-to-consumer perspective because we saw that as a really quick way to gather feedback, quite agile. Um, we, we are digital, so we can put it out there. We can access feedback. We can have that direct communication with the people that we are trying to, um, that we are serving. And really, we don't exist unless we produce something that works for them. So that's how we started. And then just uh, last year, um, oh, no, early this year, actually, we um, pivoted towards B2B. And um, quite rightly, as you said, employers, um, insurers, uh, making sure that they provide it to people um, that are impacted by cancer. Uh, There's also another thing that um, I haven't mentioned, which is those that are diagnosed with cancer, but also their friends and family and carers. So there's a huge gap where actually carers aren't even thought about, but 
they do a lot when supporting um, a loved one or you know a family member who has been diagnosed with cancer and a lot of those people are working and in work and balancing uh, a caring role but also supporting someone with cancer uh, we see that 36 percent of people living with cancer of working age and that doesn't even um that doesn't even include their carers, family, friends. So there's actually quite a large percentage of the working population that are hard to pinpoint, but who are impacted by cancer and could really use the support that we offer. Um, so that's where that's kind of phase two of trying to improve access and broaden our access to as many people as possible. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. And yeah, a lot of the, the kind of healthcare businesses, health tech businesses I see and work with um, have kind of similar journeys and end up in that kind of B2B space because it's scalable and actually mm-hmm. one of the best ways to reach like more and more people. Um, and obviously some individuals cannot afford to pay for it, whereas an employer has a great opportunity to to help look after their workforce and, and provide a better place for them to be working. So naturally having benefits that are specialised to what they need is, is super key as well. So it's like a great opportunity all around. Exactly. And and also health e- equity is incredibly important. You know, so we produce this business, um, but the goal is, like I said, to make um, high quality healthcare accessible to everyone. So your point about um, the person not having to pay is really key. We, you know, until we find a route to the NHS, which is definitely on the roadmap, there's lots of stuff on the roadmap, and um, really employers provide that avenue. Yeah, yeah, makes makes complete sense. So um, if we kind of run through that scenario of, you know, uh, if it is an employer that uh, have signed up to use Percy Health and, and one of the employees uh, has, has just finished uh, their treatment and they're looking for some support and they, they open up the app for the first time, like, what does that user journey look like, like the initial flow and then like that ongoing support that they, they can have access to? So they are essentially, they sign up, they do a simple onboarding questionnaire where we ask key things about what stage you're at. Um, we also ask if you're living with or beyond cancer or if you're a carer because we want to provide different, you know, you need slightly different services dependent on that. And then the whole experience is centered around a personalized dashboard. And within that dashboard, you have key next steps and actions um, based on that onboarding questionnaire that um, that will give you prompts on what the best course of action is for you. And then as far as that being kind of your your the place you return to always where it has your next upcoming appointments, um, programs of care to watch because we have video-based programs that are delivered by our healthcare experts. The, the core piece of what we deliver is you get a personalised cancer nurse or your personal cancer nurse who is with you from when you join us throughout your whole journey with Percy Health. And really, they're there to support you, guide you, help you navigate the, all the professionals we've got and all of the resources we have, essentially. And they will provide you with a personalised care plan after you have an initial consultation with them. Within that personalised care plan, you get a recommended care team. And that will be based on your initial clinic 
uh, it will be based on what you are trying to do or what your key concerns are um, and how you want to improve the quality of your life. And we have the largest network of cancer experts in the UK. And they're from a broad range of specialisms. So we have dietitians, we have uh, psychologists, we have menopause experts, we have hair and image advisors, um, lymphedema specialists. So they're really broad, um, all being cancer specialists. So they have to have a minimum of three years hands-on cancer experience. So these are really highly, highly qualified and experienced professionals. And you get access to them through one-to-one virtual clinics. And how much access you get and who you should access is really positioned in that personalized care plan. So it's a really tailored, personalized approach, which we think is the only way we can improve outcomes and ensure that um, we really have meaningful impact on people's lives. Definitely. Yeah, it, it sounds incredible. And and I guess like thinking of the the kind of like the mental and physical state of that person at that point of time, it's, it's gonna be uh yeah. you know, they've been through a lot. They just need something they know people are gonna like something that cares about them, it's about them and what they specifically need as opposed to like a blanket service. So actually having access to all these different mm-hmm. specialists based on their specific needs is exactly exactly what they'll need. Um in terms of um coming back i guess to, to you talking about your background earlier and um mm. digital marketing and then consumer brands how is that like how have you managed to transfer those skills to building the percy brand and marketing because i look at a lot of health tech businesses and uh, there's some great ones out there but a lot of time actually it's the branding um and not necessarily the marketing so it's more the branding that's quite can still be quite clinical it's hard to really like connect with as a as a user or a consumer mm. um I really like the way Percy looks but yeah I just wondered like you know what you've been able to take <laughs> over from your previous experiences to to like the the Percy brand I feel like you have to say that because you've got you've got me on the <laughs> podcast oh yeah it's great uh, but really I totally agree with you I think um I think it's tough uh, and I think that that is hopefully uh, the skills and expertise that I bring to the partnership. So, so my co-founder, Kelly, uh, she was an oncologist uh, dietitian, uh, registered, worked in the NHS and in the private sector and uh, worked her way up to then be the chief operating officer of one of uh, the UK's largest private cancer hospitals. So she saw firsthand and spoke to thousands of cancer patients and understood where this gap was and this kind of innovation within cancer treatment and screening was meaning that we had this huge gap that no one was doing well. And she, you know, she was in a really well-funded private hospital at that point and they weren't doing it well. Um, so she had the genesis of this idea and really she saw how digital could help increase access, lower costs, um, but also help with the personalization element. Um, when we talk about increasing access, you know, we're quite London centric. We are based in London, uh, but there's the whole of the UK and the whole of the world. And there are many places that are incredibly isolated and you can't get to a physical location. So really she saw, saw digital as this, um, incredible leveler, um, that would mean that we could improve the care as well as increasing access. But, um, that's where I came in and we, we worked together at another startup just coincidentally. 
and she had the genesis of, of this idea and she kind of said oh you know um she wanted to talk me through it. and she said you know I've got this I think there's digital in it and I also think there's being consumer centric because healthcare predominantly or previously has always been about the um the doctor the the healthcare provider um and how they want to work or how they're used to working or how, what supports them and what we've heard from people is that they feel like they just slot into that and they're not really treated as an individual within that process um lots of our um members clients um people we talk to have said that they feel like um they're treating the cancer and not the person and so we really really wanted to take all these learnings from fast-paced digital innovative brands who are consumer centric so they live and die by the how the consumer feels and we wanted to move that into this world because we really felt that's how we're going to create the best possible experience the best engagement and therefore better outcomes because that's what it's all about right we want to vastly improve um, many, many, you know, millions of people's lives. Yeah, yeah. And so having this consumer centric approach and the branding, making it feel less clinical, less scary, more supportive, um, more uplifting, you know, um, I don't know, I don't know how much you research you've done or how much impact you've, you, you know, how you've been directly impacted by cancer, but a lot of the stuff out there is really not inspiring and actually quite scary. Um, so we, desperately wanted to shake that and say listen things have changed and so how you look how you feel how you speak how you approach people needs to change as well um so yeah it seems like i guess um some people some people identify that we've got the perfect mix of those two areas of expertise other people say that's you know that's strange why have you gone into to cancer care but really um we feel that both of those areas of expertise work really well and also being women being co-founders uh, we really support each other um and yeah it's been it's um yeah i mean kelly's like you know um she hears stuff before my husband does you know um so we're we're <laughs> we work really nicely right. together and complement each other yeah if you're listening and thinking i'd love to work for a company like this then you need to go to www.jobsforgood.io where they have the best jobs in four good companies from climate change to social impact to green transport you'll be able to find the perfect job for you Trust me. Check it out, www.jobsforgood.io. Now back to the podcast. Nice. Yeah, yeah. No, and, and I couldn't agree more to your points about kind of the marrying of the two. Like when I when I saw your profile, I was doing my research, I was like, it's actually a really interesting blend of skills. You have like the deep domain expertise with Kelly and then you also have this like person who's built these really incredible consumer brands and consumer brand is, you know, build, building a good consumer brand is brutal. So if you can build something, really in, especially like in the retail space at ASOS, then there's so many key learnings you can bring over to like creating a really great consumer focused uh, or like user focused um, product in, in the health tech space. And, and like you said, I, yeah, I, I've been on a few different ones and um, I find there's also, they always index too heavily on the uh, the domain and the, the like knowledge and, and the information sharing. And it's almost like you can feel overwhelmed as the user. 
Um, whereas actually having like a really clean, easy user journey and kind of getting eased into it and you're only seeing stuff that's really relevant to you is actually a really hard balance to, to get right. So, um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it definitely sounds like a, a good match. What I always talk about and, you know, jokes we make when we speak to investors is, you know, I had to, you know, when you think of somewhere like ASOS, I had to creatively think about how to convince someone to buy, um, you know, their hundredth black dress, you know, um, multiple times a month. So exactly as you say, like the creativity and the, um, the growth expectations in, in somewhere like that, doing something like this, um, it's just so much more rewarding and 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 the creativity that the low-hanging fruit i guess in how we can improve the experience um i just think yeah i just think it's really exciting and it actually has an impact on people's lives instead of um you know i don't know supporting more landfill (laughs) which is something i've had to come to terms with (laughs) <laughs> definitely um and in terms of like traction um like where would you describe the businesses at like have you found product market fit or is that where you're like working towards at the moment mm, yeah the elusive product market fit we talk <laughs> about it so much it's a constant conversation i think product market fit is really hard to one get and also identify <laughs> when you've got it So one of our key performance metrics, I guess, is are we feeling a pull? Is are we suddenly starting to be pulled and feel like we people want us to say and are saying yes? And that means, you know, that's a key indicator of product market fit. Um in the B2B world, that's slightly more complicated because you've got your buyer and you've got your user. Um, yeah. you know, um, I talked about the complexity and the, the, how hard it is to grow in the D to C space, the direct to consumer space, but at least you're talking to the person you're selling to, or you're, you're providing a service to directly, which is, uh, I, I, I really enjoy. Um, but, um, so I think where we are now is we have, are just doing our pre-seed, uh, we've done pre-seed fundraising. We're onto our seed fundraise. We were only live since, um, July, 2021. Obviously there's been a load of work, a year's worth of work that happened before we went live. Um, uh, but we are starting to fill the pool definitely in the B2B space where the, we're getting lots and lots of requests and lots of yeses. Um, I think definitely at the start of the year when we decided we're going to do B2B, we were having lots of conversations and we weren't hearing much back. It was a bit quiet. Everyone was like, yeah, you know, I get it. Also, another thing that you find with product market is that people don't really understand what you do and you find you're, you're trying to explain it in lots of different ways. And it feels like we've got to the point where as soon as we describe what we do, people get it. And they're starting to put their money where their mouth is. Um, so I'd say we're not, digital isn't ever evolving and you've never nailed it. You never stand still. So there's a constant evolution, um, but it feels like we've got a product and a price and a buyer at this point 
that are all singing from the same hymn sheet. I think what will be interesting is in six months um, time when we look at how we've supported the person living with cancer and getting more data under our belt with this experience and this new um, go-to-market approach where we have less direct control of how we position ourselves. I think it'll be quite interesting to see usage behaviour and where we are. So I think, yeah, let's catch up in six months and we'll see if we've nailed that bit. Definitely. And sorry for the tricky question. I think everyone hates the PMF <laughs> question, but it sounds like all very good indicators <laughs> and going in the right right way. Yeah, um, it's tough. You um you touched on um you know, funding and I think you, you raised uh, one point five million mm. last uh, last summer. Um, you know every mm. founder says how tough funding is, but I just wondered if you could share like your personal experience of of going through fundraising and and how you you felt it. Yeah, it is so tough, and I think now um, we you know with how the economy is, um, it's lots of doom and gloom about fundraising specifically and and new businesses um so i feel like if we can get through this then um we can get through most things um so our current i guess our, our current experience is um we have done lots of different approaches to fundraising we have we started with angel investors but actually quite a large percentage of our fundraising has come from oncologists and surgeons and this is a huge endorsement for what we're doing and gives us real credibility. And it's because they are the point at which they hand over the patient and they've got no one to hand them over to. You know, they're really feeling this pain point with they've done their job. You know, they've done a great job. They've got someone through their treatment. Um, and then they're getting questions about what do I eat? Or how do I, you know, um, how do I, what exercises do I do post-surgery to get more movement back? And they're like, you know, I, this is not, I'm not equipped to answer this and I don't have the time either. So they are really, really behind this and see it as something that is needed and no one is doing it, um, I guess, the way they, they envision it being done. So we... Uh, Quite interestingly, we've got 35 oncologists and surgeon investors. Um, and now we are going through our next fundraise, which really we're looking for an institutional investor to help us get to Series A. Um, and that's some of the conversations we're, we're having right now. But I guess at every raise, we've done something slightly different. And um, it's 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 always interesting, you know. Um, I think that there's so much work that's been done on fundraising and founders, and there's talk of whiplash and understanding what feedback to take and what not to take. And it is really a skill, and you are always learning and you are always adapting for the type of investor that you're talking to. Um, so it's quite, yeah, it's been quite a journey. And I think we've got many, many years of fundraising ahead of us. So um, it can be uncomfortable. It can be difficult. Um, but so far we've been, uh, you know, I, w I don't want to say lucky, especially as a female founder, you're not supposed to say you're lucky. But, you know, we're thankful for the people that have believed yeah. in us and are supporting us currently. Nice. And um, in terms of like looking ahead now, like the next year or two, what what, what are you mm. really excited about? Like what's in the roadmap where you're like, I cannot wait for that to happen? 
So, oh, there's so much. There's so much. It's probably <laughs> too much. Again, another founder's thing. You've got to, you know, narrow, narrow your focus because there's so much. I think one of what's always excited me about what we're doing is the, the impact and the data. So when I say data, it's really we are going to have access and understanding to a really incredible population, an undersurveyed, under, under, you know, misunderstood population that, that really excites me because we're going to find out how to drastically improve their lives. And I think that that data play is really the most exciting thing. Um, we're just at the start of our journey. So we need more data. Um, we need to, we need more interventions. We need to do some, you know, we will be doing some clinical studies at, at um, some point in the near future. But really, that is incredibly exciting. And really understanding how um, we can improve outcomes and being uh, the business that does that, the, the brand that does that, that really, really excites me. Um, apart from that, it's just, I mean, it's just incredible working where we work. And, you know, I talked about CBS television and um, ASOS kind of the customer reviews you get back are completely different from what I get back now and it's every day it kind of it, it makes you a bit emotional you know you go in and you hear the feedback and how people have been living but how their lives have improved because of the access to support that they've gotten and um, that's just always reconfirming and exciting and amazing um, so I'd say in the short term and long term that is the thing that really is lovely and amazing every day but the long term I think having this incredible data set and this incredible knowledge about how we can do something innovative and change people's lives I think that's that really excites me yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> and I can hear it in your voice. Um, that is super exciting. And um, you mentioned earlier as well about like starting to maybe partner more closely with the NHS. So is that something as well in the cards that maybe yeah. further out, but like obviously you have like a direct consumer yeah. offering, you're working like more B2B. Is the dream actually to be able to have the NHS so there's more continuation in that patient journey where when they're like, right, treatment's finished, it's like, right, actually now, you, now you're going to hand it over to Percy Health and they'll take it from here. Yes, absolutely. So we, there's so many, so many opportunities. Right now, we're actually partnering with a charity uh, called Black Women Rising, and we're offering free nurse support for their members. And Black Women Rising is was specifically started by Leanne Pirro because of uh, the care or access to care or type of care that was offered to black or Asian or ethnic minority communities. And as you can imagine, as a whole, if access is bad, you can imagine, you know, then it's even worse for people from, um, from that background. So there's opportunities to partner with charities. The NHS is definitely there. Um, we know lots of businesses that have access to the NHS and work with the NHS. We know it's hard and it takes a lot of resource and time. So that's why it hasn't been the first thing we do because we want to establish ourselves. We want to look at getting real um, robust clinical data and also looking at how we can, I guess, make our offering as um, slick and cost-effective as possible. 
And then definitely NHS is just about getting it this care in the hands of as many people as possible. And I think we can't do that in the UK without working with the NHS. Yeah, definitely. Definitely makes a lot of sense. And um, to move on and chat to you a little bit about your yourself personally as a founder, I wondered what's like one attribute or characteristic that you feel makes you um, really effective in your role as a founder? Good question. Um, I guess, Okay, so one of the things that this this is something that Kelly and I are, are very aligned on. One of the things that we're passionate about is having a positive positive impact. And obviously, we want to have a positive impact on people impacted by cancer. But we think that is broader, that should be broader than just the people uh, impacted by cancer. So we want to improve the lives of our professionals, professionals, so our healthcare experts who are incredible and we couldn't do what we do without them. Um, and we really want to support them in working in a way that helps them do their best possible work. Um, our core staff and also our environment. So we take quite a broad approach to thinking about how we have a positive impact. And I think from, well, I hope from the feedback that we've had from the people that work with us and from um, surveys that we've done is that one thing that they're really aligned to is building a business in a different way. Um, we've had lots of feedback about um I don't know how to describe it, but I guess how uh, how there's a disconnect between being high achievers and also being compassionate and being kind. And we feel really passionate about the fact that those two things can be combined. Um, I think that's something that might be a thing that lots of female leaders have heard. I know um, the New Zealand Prime Minister, um, Jacinta, I think there's a, a quote that she has that says something about um, how she has compassion and how she can't be strong because she's got compassion and how that's not true. So we have um, one of our core values, like our business values, is that we are ruthless, um, ruthlessly compassionate. Um, and that is about balancing kindness and fearlessly high expectations. So we are really, really want to do good, but that doesn't mean we're not a high performing team. And that seems to be something that people gravitate towards, that they can be successful, they can achieve innovation and incredible things, but not at the cost of, um, I guess, not being supportive or kind. Um, so I hope that I, I, it's something that's very important to me, it's something that's very important to Kelly. I think it comes through because we've had feedback about it, but feel like to attract talent, um, you know, one of the things they want to do is they want to have an impact. They want to do good work and they want to be happy, you know, in yep. their workplace. So I hope that's, um, I hope that does help us in, in our vision and our, uh, us as founders and how we attract people and um, take them on this mission with us. Yeah, no, I really like that. And I, I think um, well, my personal experience, like I've always enjoyed work of those leaders that have incredibly high standards and a really high bar because they push you and you learn. But there is that's that's tempered with, um, yeah, you use the word compassion. Uh, for me, it's like kind of the, the ethical, the values that come with that person. So they're going to push the, 
push the bar up, but they're going to do it in the right way where you feel supported and looked after and you know you're ethically never going to cross the line where you're starting to feel like, <laughs> um, yeah, it just doesn't quite fit right with me. So, um, yeah, really like that. Um, on the flip side, I just wondered, you know, I, I know you've worked in large high growth companies, you know, ASOS, um, very successful business. I think after that you worked in another kind of retail consumer startup, um, so worked in a range of businesses, but it's never the same as being a founder. So I just wondered, like, what's one thing you've had to change about yourself or how you operate now you're actually the like the founder of the business rather than even like you know, when you're in a senior role within a business? Yeah, yeah, that that was definitely um, some a, gr- a growth area for myself and Kelly, and and we've been, you know board level we we worked at a previous retailer um together and that's where we met and we we started talking about this idea and I was the chief marketing officer and she was the chief operating officer and uh, I think definitely we underestimated how much we had to change gear in that sense um one of the things I think we noticed quite quickly is that because we're quite inclusive because we want to communicate articulately and clearly and ensure everyone understands our expectations um and actually to your point before you know giving honest feedback but in a kind way where they're not meeting those expectations we realized quite quickly that you are exposed to a different level of knowledge um, and you are taking on a higher level of risk being founders that actually not sharing everything. Um, you, you can't share the same way you would in a leadership team. And I think that was different for us because we had, we, we thought we know how to speak to senior people. We've been senior people. We've worked with senior people. There is an element of you do need to, you sharing everything could make people feel uncertain and unsure. And there has to be an element of understanding. Actually, this is just a discussion for us as founders and we don't have to include everyone. And I think that was quite, yeah, that was that I was surprised how much of a gear change that was for, for me. Definitely. Yeah. Really good learning point. And I'm someone naturally who's very open and I will share a lot. And that's what I've had to learn over the years is actually sometimes you can overshare or sometimes sharing isn't a good thing because it can actually, like you say, make people feel more uncertain or worried about a situation than than they need to be. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, final, final question on, on the kind of the personal founder bit. Um, it's a question I ask every person that comes on the show and it's just around like how you manage your own mental health and wellbeing. So it's a really important topic. So I want to make sure we do always talk about on the show, but yeah, what, what works for you? I think having a co-founder is, has done, is incredible from a mental health perspective you have someone to talk to, you have someone that you can share your fears, um, your your worries about um, who has who understands exactly where you're coming from. So I think having that outlet is hasn't it's worked for us is incredibly I found it incredibly useful. We've also had some um I've I've had some coaching some leadership coaching, which again is another avenue of having someone to talk to who 
can help you work through things out loud um, and get to a point where you can um, approach the problem. Because uh, sometimes you get into this point where it's so busy, um, you start to get a bit unsure about seeing the wood um, between the trees. So that that has really helped me. So having a co-founder, having a coach, having um, people that I trust and who have an, an interesting perspective who can work through problems with me and help me get to a solution. I think that has helped my mental health because what what stresses me out, what makes me really worried and would impact my mental health is that I'm not doing the right thing at the business. You know, I'm not making the right decisions. I'm not um, coming up with the right solutions. That's Those are the things that, you know, really feed into my fear as, uh, as a founder. And, you know, you've got these, these people that are relying on you, not your staff, but these people living with cancer, like we are in a position where we can make a real difference. So that's been really useful. Not everyone can have a co-founder, but definitely having some sort of coach or external person, if you've got, um, you can invest in that. I think it's the best investment, definitely. Yeah, very, very good advice. Um, and then going back to something you you said earlier on, which is around um, kind of, you know, your leadership style and the, the culture you wanted to build. Um, I'm always intrigued actually when it comes to, you know, what I class as like a tech for good business, but, you know, mission-driven business and impact business is um, how you go about building that company, ensuring that it stays true to its values, even once it starts to get bigger and, you know, scale out. Um, it sounds like, I mean, if, if you take an approach where you've been quite deliberate from early days in terms of like the mission, the values, the culture that's being built, or is it something you see as something more that like evolves over time and it will change? I, no doubt it will change. The business, you know, businesses change. They are, they are living, you know, things that evolve and adapt and the people that you have at the start I, I mean I'm including you know I'm talking about myself here the, the people that start a startup aren't necessarily the ones to see it through to um to hire you know these massive businesses or, or they can be it's it changes and what people want changes as well and I've worked at uh, another startup in New York it was an agency uh, advertising agency and we went through lots of changes and actually the culture um, evolved so much. And there was quite a lot we had to understand about those people that were there from day one and how they felt once we grew quite quickly and had new people come into the fold. So I, um, I was pretty adamant that we would, you know, even though we had like three or four people, we would have our values, we would have our mission all set out. Um, because I wanted to be very clear about what we were trying to do and the type of people that we wanted as part of the business. And I think every startup approaches building their team in the same way, in the sense that you you rely on your network initially because you don't need many people. And actually, the amount of trust and the, um, I guess, the risk you have to take out because you just don't have the resources or time to look outside of your network. Um, so that's what we've done. But we really, really are focused on diversity of thought, how that helps problem solving, how that uh, creates higher, you know, innovation and more effective teams. 
So we want different people from different backgrounds and different experience. I mean, that's Kelly and I, you know, that's what we've done. We've brought yeah. that together and we believe that's really powerful. Um, so we are focused now on this next next step in our growth of really broadening the reach and getting exposure to different people um, from a diversity of background and thought. Um, so that will be, I, I'm actually really excited about that, but that will need to happen. And, and I do think the business will change. And I do think the values and you, you I, I think they can be tweaked. I think values are really core to how you believe you should act within your business. So I don't think they will change drastically, but they may need to be tweaked as we evolve, as things change. Um, how, I mean, how you, how you ensure as you grow that those values are entrenched and important. There's loads of different ways to do it. I don't think it's easy and I don't think anyone's really nailed it, but I think ensuring your senior people who you can be closest to are aligned and that whatever they're telling their teams, however they are training their managers, um, as long as you've got them really aligned to your not your thinking, but the mission and the vision of the business and the values that gives you a better chance of that trickling out to everyone. Um, but you know, we're not, we're, we're just about to go into that next phase. So we haven't tackled, we haven't had to tackle it, but I've seen from other places I've worked, how, what happens if you don't tackle that? And it's quite, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's important and it takes quite a lot of work and thought actually. Yeah, no, it definitely does. Like as someone who works in like the kind of recruitment people space, um, the founders or the founding teams that take a much more deliberate, active approach to that early on and how they want it to be shaped and, and grow out are typically going to have a lot more success than those that kind of like, yeah, it's working for us right, right. now. We'll see how it goes when we double. <laughs> and then it's, it's very uh, hit and miss on that, on that approach. Um, you've already given a lot of golden nuggets about kind of hiring and, and yeah, how you about go about attracting good people. Um, so my question is actually going to be like, when you're interviewing someone, what can someone do to make themselves like stand out or like, wow, you like, yeah. What, what, what can someone do in an interview to, to, to make, like to impress you? Oh, that's yeah, that's a tough one. Um, I think, I think, it is about, I think it is about those values. I, sorry to go back to it, but I think it's quite easy to test skills mm -hmm. to understand how um, experienced someone is or how um, proficient they are at a specific skill set. I think the thing that really excites me when uh, interviewing is someone that talks about aligning to our values that has real life examples of how um, how important you know um, ruthless compassion is to them and how they've they've shown that or how being um, governed by science and insight really is important to them and how they've uh, they can evidence that I think that's the bit that really um, when you walk out of an interview, you're like, yeah, they just get it. You know, you, you get, you get that feeling. You're like, they're going to hit the ground running. They're going to, um, they're going to thrive 
in our culture because um, you can have ex- incredible people that are so skilled and so amazing, but the culture doesn't fit their values and they won't yeah. succeed. So I think that that aligning of values, someone just showing that they this they can flourish here, that that we are we've got the culture and we've got the values that helps them succeed. I think that's you know that's really exciting and um, and amazing when you come out of an interview and that and that's been shown. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. And then um, last question, hopefully a quick one. Um, hot, hot, like topic of debate um, over the last year or two. But if you had to choose between remote, hybrid, or office based, um, which which one are you going for? Oh, hybrid all the way. So I, I, I just don't think it's a hot topic. I just, I, I just think people are different. People work in different ways. Yeah. Um, we've shown that things. I am a tech, you know a digital business, so yeah, obviously I'm a bit biased. But I know that some of our team want to be in physical spaces with each other, and that helps with creativity, with brainstorming. You know, there's um, this kind of too far this way or too far that way. I just I don't think it ever works. So um, definitely, definitely hybrid um, if if you can do it. Um, and understand people's circumstances. You know, some people don't have a great home working space, so yeah. give them somewhere to work. But also, some people do, so let them do it. Uh, so yeah, middle of the ground, definitely. Yeah, flexibility is definitely key. Um, exactly. Cool. So, for anyone um, listening, Morgan, that would like to follow the Percy Health journey, like where's best to follow yourself or the company on like socials? <laughs> So LinkedIn is probably your best bet at the moment because we are B2B. So you see most of um, the updates on LinkedIn. Um, that's Percy Health. Um, or across all of our social media accounts, we are at Percy Health. Uh, so, yeah, look out for updates there. Great. Well, look, it's been a real pleasure, like such an enjoyable conversation. And just, yeah, wish you and the team all the best. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And thanks for, uh, yeah, supporting me through the, the podcast. Um, <laughs> and yeah, um, thanks for, uh, thanks for the great questions. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you've enjoyed it, please subscribe, share this episode and leave us a review. We're just getting started out, so it would mean a lot to us. This episode was brought to you by Craig Turner, produced by Jabril al and sponsored by Jobs for Good. Until next time.